0: Hi guys, welcome, welcome to everyone. Welcome to everyone coming in. Um, Jenny Stanley, I'm Founder and Managing Director of Appetite Appetite Creative. I'll get the company name right, good start. Um, Welcome to everyone who's joining us. Just to recap, in case you think you're in the wrong place, today's webinar is on should brands stand for something. And in a world of burning issues, from Black Lives Matter to inequality or climate change, There are several challenges and opportunities for international and local brands to shift their weight to where it can make a difference. Now, sustainability has become increasingly present in everyone's lives during the last decade. And across all industries, we've been witnessing a shift to more environmentally friendly practices, procedures and mindsets, perhaps even more so accelerated in the last nine months or so, Um, with the pandemic. And certainly we've seen a much larger focus on humanity and I'm sure you have a larger uh, focus on kindness as well. Mm, But at the end of the day, our question is, does that really make a difference to the customer? Is consumer behavior changing brands? Do, Do brands really make a difference by taking a certain political or ecological side? And our question really is how are brands communicating those commitments to their customers? And even raising the question, is it their place to do so? So today we're going to look a little deeper and discover how these experts with us today have been adapting and rising to the challenge without running the risk of losing customers or or harming their brand's reputation. So today we're joined by three different sets of experts. Um, We will therefore split the webinar into three different sections. And first of all, I'll be joined by Amy Williams. Amy is the founder and CEO at Goodloop. And I'll also be joined by Jamie Gray, who is Sales and Operations Director at BuddyBurst. And we're going to look at how their companies help other brands to communicate their social commitments with their customers and with their clients. Second up, I will then be joined on the virtual stage by Philip Lundberg. Now, he is Head of Sustainability at Swedish Football Club, your Gordon's EFE. And we're going to be looking at how this club has been implementing their social responsibility agenda. And they've made some huge changes, huge changes in taking social and political sides into the sports industry. To finish the session, I will have the pleasure to host Maria Garcia Moreno, And she is Senior Consultant of Environmental, Social and Corporate Governance, ESG, for Sustainability and Climate Change at PwC. We're going to be talking about sustainability trends, the forecast for global challenges, um, what the future holds for big players, and across different industries, looking at how different brands can enter this space, what brands should be thinking of and considering before they take a leap or a jump. So again, a big welcome to everyone who's joining us and a big thank you to everyone. First, Amy and and Jamie, a big thanks to you both for being here with us today. Amy, Goodloop has recently been referred as a UK ethical video startup that helps advertisers use programmatic technology to deliver brand purpose at scale. Tell us a little bit more about how it all started for you and your brand.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Hi everyone. Um, My name is Amy. I am the founder of Good Loop. Uh, The way the business started. So I started my career in advertising. I was on the graduate program um, at Ogilvy, and Ogilvy is such a great place to start your career. You know, they teach you the foundations of what it means to build a brand and what it means to build a brand that that matters um so I learned a lot I loved it you know there was a bar in the office so that was great and um I found myself being increasingly drawn towards brands that had a purpose um and throughout my time at Ogilvy I had the privilege to work on several I ended up on the Unilever account and Unilever this was back in sort of 20. 14, 15. So Unilever had just done that big study that's now an iconic study that showed their sustainable and social brands grew 50% faster than the rest of their portfolio. And to me, that was just such an earworm, you know, the idea that you can do good while selling more soap it made social impact seem so scalable um to kind of align it with business metrics it just it enabled you to tap into the global influence and reach of these massive corporations so i kind of i felt both very passionate about this idea of brand purpose but also i felt that i wanted to take you know leave ogilvy and and, and build something on my own um and when thinking about the way that purpose sort of um the way that purpose is um, used across our industry, the area where I felt like there was the most opportunity was in media. You know creative agencies and strategic agencies make beautiful powerpoints and th- you know three minute manifesto films about what a brand stands for. But when you look at media, which is typically like ninety percent of a brand's budget, there's so much negativity, you know, whether it's ad blocking or misinformation and hate speech or ad fraud or viewability issues, like the media industry needed some good news. So um, Goodloop's all about applying purpose within a media landscape. So we drive ad engagement by using media money to fund charities around the world.
0: Some some great stats there uh, and, a, and a great story. Um, We will will certainly be coming back to that. Um, Just to have an introduction from Jamie, too. Jamie, Budverse is is closely associated with protecting the environment. Um, I guess, how did you reach out, first of all, to convince the big players on the FTSE 100 or the British Football Premier League that your eco-friendly products could effectively replace the ones that are being used in the past by, by these companies?
2: I think when we first started out, you know, reaching out and and convincing, I was I was still learning, but um, we were trying to solve a problem where uh, marketers were buying products very last minute for events or campaigns and having um, probably no knowledge of where the products were made. And I think I think they 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 they, they do care. We as consumers do care, but they you know they were so it was so so last minute, and they had a particular budget that they just wanted to get their products in a certain time frame and. You know, whether it was eth- ethically sourced or not, I don't think um, it, was, it was part of their agenda. And, and as, we, as we've gone through the years and since we started Buddy Burst back in 2015, we, yeah, we tried to solve a, solve a solution. So can we offer products that have longevity, that have creativity, but also are ethically sourced? So we try and bring that to marketeers so they have an option. Um, yes, our products are generally more expensive, but rather than going down the cheap throwaway route, can mm. they try and spend that little bit extra and with the peace of mind, that they know where the, where the products are being sourced? You know, the, the product, promotional products industry is probably, well, 2019, last year, probably not, not so much now, given the fact that has you know, battered through through marketing. Um, now, the industry is worth about about 1.1 billion. And you know, whatever stats, you know, some of the stats you look at, around about 40% of those products go straight in the bin. So we've all yeah. been to a trade show. We've all been, you know, all had stuff through, through our letterbox. You know that acts, that's, that's a horrendous stat. You know, Four hundred million pound worth of products straight in the bin. You know people have taken time to make those, and and deliver them, and it's going straight in the bin. So we're trying to you know, produce products that are more memorable, keepable, mm-hmm. and and don't end up in 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 that bin. So you know going back to the point around you know how do we first reach out? You know I think we're, I was kind of you know, the, those those fifty one hundred and and Premier League clubs are obviously obviously quite sexy. We work we work with you know small small medium sized businesses that, that you know people that won't have heard of that are trying to do. Trying to do better, and how you know how we reach out to them initially was, you know, word of mouth. But you know, as we built the brand, trade shows, um, you know, referrals, we're, we're still learning as we go. We're still super small. with, you know, a team of team of ten, um, and we've been kind of decimated a little bit by, by Corona. But we're yeah, we're still trying to find find our feet. It's just that those stats of, um, of forty percent go straight in the bin. Still to this day, is just, is just horrendous. So we're trying to yeah, we're yeah. trying to reverse reverse that and trying to you know, promotional products are, are, do have a bad name and trying to change that mindset that they can actually be be for good and hence why a lot of our products are seed and plant-based products because the benefits around growing something um are are quite great
0: yeah no absolutely um i think i think as well there's something to be said around um trying to create something that isn't just going to be thrown straight in the bin um from from many angles Um, we've got our first question in actually Darcy, thanks very much for your question. Um, He says 57% of people have made significant changes to their lifestyles to lessen their environmental impact. And as nearly 28% of consumers expect to buy less at physical stores, according to McKinsey. Um, How do you think that these changes will affect the future of sustainability in fashion, business models or or retail in general? Um, That's Jamie or Amy.
2: Oh, the door's going.
1: <laughs> so Amy, I could go. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, this year global emissions are going to reduce by five or between five and eight percent, and that's because you know we're doing this on Zoom, right? We're not all meeting in person. We're not all travelling yeah. in. We're not all travelling around the world. That's yeah. a, it's a huge change to our lifestyles, and it's really been a powerful um, way to illustrate what can be done. I read an interesting article recently from Bill Gates who was kind of negative about this because I came into it thinking wow 8% reduction what an what an achievement and his article was essentially saying we have been locked in our homes you know we we have had our, our lives changed beyond recognition and you know we're having a mental health crisis and all of this has only came, com, has only culminated in a 5% reduction doesn't that illustrate how far we have to go. (laughs) And um, I think that was also a really good point. So I guess I kind of have two feelings about how COVID is going to change our relationship to sustainability. The first is a pessimistic one, which is, it's illustrated how hard it is to make meaningful change. And it's Mm -hmm. illustrated how much our lives have to be sacrificed in order to um, save the planet. And that is going to be a pretty bad PR story for the global movement. But there is also a real sense of perspective that has come from this crisis, a sense of community, of kindness. You know, um, Ronald Reagan in the 80s gave a speech to the UN and he said, what we need is an alien invasion because it will enable us to see how small our differences are. And COVID is that, right? It's this Mm -hmm. chance to see we're not actually really all that different. We're not actually really all competitors. So much of what matters unites us. And mm-hmm. I've seen so many brands bring that humanity and that altruism and that kindness into what they're doing. So I think that's a trend that will certainly pick up in the coming years.
0: Yeah I think that's I think that's interesting. And, and it can also then um err on the uh, on the on the bad side I suppose and, and create negativity negativity. I mean Amy, you've been one of the cornerstones in what comes to turning online ad viewers into secret charity donors, I suppose. This, this initiative we were talking before, you mentioned, had, had raised more than a, a million for charities and is on track for a two million um, for, for the end of 2021. So how do brands really communicate? How do also you communicate this without kind of sounding too too braggy, if you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, sure. So so just to kind of give some context, if I explain how Goodloop works as though you're you're a user, essentially you would be on a publisher site, let's say you're on the New York Times and you're going to watch a video. Goodloop will sit in the ad placement before that video. So we buy premium skippable pre-roll and uh, there's a message to the user that says, If you don't skip, if you choose to give this advertiser a little bit of your precious time and attention, then you get to use some of their money to donate to a charity of your choice. So it's a watch to donate proposition. And as you say, it's almost the idea of becoming a secret donor, right? It's harnessing the value of our eyeballs, harnessing the value of our attention and using it for good. So from a consumer point of view, our messaging is really all around getting to do good for free use the corporation's money and um, give them a little bit of time and then you get to choose what charity it goes to. And that moment of interactivity, that moment of decision and choice is so important when you're thinking about brand purpose. It's so important to empower consumers to do good through your brand rather than to just stand on a pedestal and say, look how great we are. We did all these amazing things. It has to involve consumers. So from from a purpose Communication point of view, I think it's it's a really powerful way to deliver that. And then from a brand point of view, and when Goodloop is talking to our customers, when we're talking to brands like Unilever and H and M and Coca Cola, the way to get around that sense of worthiness or brag bragginess, as you mentioned, is really to Mm -hmm. focus on business results. Right? It's lovely that we donate to charity. I'm so proud of having given a million quid to charity this year, but we don't do it for the warm, fuzzy feeling. We do it because it drives higher engagement results. It drives higher ad recall. It drives brand uplift. And it ultimately, it drives purchase. And we have the stats to back that up. And whenever we're going to a client, we focus on those business metrics first and foremost. And the warm, fuzzy feeling is the cherry on top.
0: Uh-huh. No, that makes good sense. Um, Jamie, hopefully you've attended to your um, un- unwelcome house guests. Um, if you're back with us, could you, yeah, you tell us a little went- bit
2: it went twice the gate. Sorry,
0: oh, how, put it next to me now. <laughs> I ripped
2: through. I ripped out my charge on the laptop. It's all going well.
0: Oh, great, great. Um, I mean, my question really to you there is is around um, that that positive change. So, Amy talks about you know being able to see positive influence um, for con- consumer behaviour. Do do brands see any difference in in changing their you know perhaps standard pen to their seed growing? Uh, option. I mean, what, what have you seen? Is there any kind of positive change there?
2: It's, it's it's sometimes tricky for us. I think we can we can only see you know the products that we've that people have bought or customers have bought over the last yeah. I think nine months. When lockdown happened in March, you know, we completely panicked. We thought, you know, it's gonna be the end of our business. But actually, people were at home or out in their garden if they're lucky enough to have a garden or you know, doing something with a with a partner or, or a child. And I think our products, you know, seed and plant products uh, lent quite well into that into that landscape pardon the pun Um, yeah you know sometimes we we we, it is difficult for us to see the end game to see the the, the positive effect that a a giveaway is having on a on a consumer I can you know I can only go from um examples that we you know we've worked with in the past and like I say some big companies and small companies but um yeah in terms of you know for example we used to work with a restaurant chain um who's been hit pretty hard called Oaxaca um in london so they used to give out our products to everyone at, in, in in the meal at the end of the meal you get you get what is called a seed stick it's a so it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a evolution of the matchbook and we make it here in in south bucks and um it came with the with the receipt and to see people's positive reaction of, of that product versus something that, that, that wasn't there is, is i think hugely, hugely impactful to a brand and the brand recall and they had a huge campaign online um you know gorilla grower gorilla chili grower which, which created this uh, this brand exposure for, for, for a smallish restaurant in London which you know up against the Nando's and uh, the wagon mummers I think creates some, creates some cut through albeit yes they've they've hit some hard times and have to gone have, have from 25 restaurants <laughs> to 16 and actually be, be rescued by Nando's. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, so we, yeah we, do, we we do struggle to see the output sometimes but, but there's definitely I think there's definitely positive positive effects. We, you know we want to do some some more learnings with with maybe with the, maybe university. Um, to, to find out the actual positive impact of the people actually taking our products and growing it and then the positive impact that has on the environment, you know, CO, CO2 in O2L. Um, so hopefully, yeah, in the next year or two, we'll have some more quantitative uh, quantitative data.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I've got a general question um, to you guys, um, and it will probably need to, to, to be one of our, our last on this section, but the general question from... From the audience says, Do you think that brands should influence elections um, like Patagonia did with their campaign, Vote the Ice House Out, during the US elections? Do you think that's something that brands should be getting involved in?
2: In terms of, oh, I will back it, we're backing a political campaign. Hmm. I think it's not for me to say. It's, it, 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 it can go two ways, right? It can be a positive or a, or, or a negative. Funny enough, our <laughs> in the world of in the us for example not not so much the uk promotional products are are massive in the us you want to see the amount of spend that um biden and trump would have put behind um promotional products actually it's an interesting question for amy i bet she probably knows the stats that what they would have either of them spent on on facebook for example would have been i think quite quite horrendous you put me on the
1: spot now jamie i haven't done my homework
2: make (gasps) it up 400 million yeah
1: spot (laughs) on how did you know I would no, I think it's it, it it's a really good question. It worked well for Patagonia. Um, but Patagonia has been against the Trump administration from you know from when they introduced those tax cuts, and Patagonia gave the full 10 million that they would have received in taxing in 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 tax savings. They gave the full 10 million to national parks because the Trump administration had cut spending um and cut the rights and protections around America's national parks. So it's not that they meddled in an election as much as it was an authentic extension of a message that the brand has been pushing for a long time and a message that they very rightly and astutely um, understood to resonate with their consumer base, right? They're an outdoor clothing company, and this president reduce the protection of America's most precious outdoor spaces. So um, I wouldn't say it's a yes or no on getting involved in elections. I think it's about um, deciding what role your brand has in society. And if you're going to be a brand, you know, and there's, there's some hygiene factors right like every brand should have a, a, a policy on carbon neutrality and su- sustainability every brand should have a policy on diversity and inclusion I'm talking about you know above and beyond not being a dickhead what is your stance on the world what is your call to arms that gets consumers excited and brings them to you and creates that gravity and that emotional connection with your consumers mm. and you have to pick one you have to pick a couple of horses you can't talk about everything you can't be authentically involved in everything Mm -hmm. but you've got to pick those one or two issues that are societal issues that you can authentically have a voice in and that matter to your consumers be it LGBTQ rights or be it um, workers rights or be it um, you know the perception of beauty in the industry and and celebrating real beauty and real women finding that one key thing that matters to you um, is the most important metric I'd say
2: You've got to get it right, though, haven't you? That's a thing.
1: And I, th- I think that's a really, a, a really important thing. So, you know, in
0: terms of asking you the question, should brands stand for something? Well, obviously, your answer is yes. Um, But I think what's interesting there is, you know, what you say, Jamie, you've got to get it right. What, what you're really pointing to there, Amy, is in order to be uh genuine is to choose something that you're connected to and then be passionate yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's really... Great, great insights to, to to take from to take from this segment. So, thanks a lot to both of you for, for your uh, fantastic insights and uh, on the spot questions there. So, thanks a lot. Um, I think I think as well what that really does is gives us a really nice intro into the next section of our webinar, um, where Philip Lundberg, head of sustainability of the most recent champions of the Swedish football um, league, um, is going to tell us a little bit more. Um, especially around authenticity. And I think um, that's something we're going to talk about now. Philip, tell us, how did it all start for you? How did sustainability and sports touch points in, in your life?
3: Well, um, first and foremost, uh, thank you for having me. It's it's great to be here with you all. Um, we were the 2019 champions. Uh, unfortunately, Malmö, south of Sweden, just a few days ago won <laughs> won this league this year. So, But lost, yeah, yeah. Um, that was uh, actually a perfect transition. Uh, the last thing I actually took notes here. One or two issues that matters. Um, that's really what is what's it, what it's about for us as well. Um, to answer your question, uh, for me personally, yoga has always been an important part of my social life. Uh, I've been to matches as a kid with my dad, uh, as a young guy with my friends on the stands, uh, and now you'll find me at the family section with uh, with a son of my own. Um, on my dad's side, being a supporter of the club goes back to its founding of uh, 1891. Um, I believe that historical dimension is important to mention because it says something about the timeline uh, the club has been around and affecting so many people in the city of Stockholm. Um, so on a personal level, I have been a close supporter my whole life. Uh, on a professional level, sustainability uh, coincide, coincided with uh, the start of my career at Djurgården at Football Club. Um, I have a master in political science and addressed football and sustainability uh, in my master thesis, uh, which eventually landed me a job in the club. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was employed by the club at a very chaotic time and in the club's history when a lot of things went uh, very bad. Um, It performed poorly both on and off the pitch and and it was a very turbulent time in general. Um, In that context, I was expected to help the club to gain a better uh, reputation through its CSR commitment that strategy needed, to say the least, quite an extensive oversight. Um, and from 2014 and onwards, we started the journey towards a, a completely new way of addressing sustainability and, and what it meant for us as a football club and sports brand and, and how to involve our internal external stakeholders in that process to create engagement. So you know, we, we didn't care about how the standards for sustainability looked in other branches, we kind of created our own. Uh, we just redefined the word sustainability, really. Um, And uh, with stakeholders, I mean, of course, uh, our fans, staff, sponsors, the city, um, you know, I think it's important to understand that most people are either passive opponents or passive advocates. Uh, So the middle between right and left to use the political language is very important to, to get their support.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the sports industry is surrounded by, well, it's obviously surrounded by a lot of passion, um, competitiveness, tradition. You talk about history of the club, um, you know, and that's very deep rooted in in, in how people feel about being a fan. But how do you see sports club facing the climate change and sustainability challenge? I mean, do you see the big players resisting change um, in order to preserve tradition? Or are they prone to particular... Inability to change practices or focusing too much on, on fans' mindsets? What, what, what do you think? Uh,
3: I, I think the passion and competitiveness and tradition are key components of why we love sports in the first place. So, so resisting change and preserve tradition is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, tradition and change can be both good and bad. Uh, it all depends on the context. So there's a balance to find there. Um, I strongly believe, though, that change needs to be allowed to take time. Uh, It's only when you allow yourself to do things thoroughly, you can expect results that will last over time. Um, I believe in the importance of having a credible and systematic sustainability approach, uh, but it will only have an impact if it starts from an inclusive standpoint. Sometimes I do think that advocates of sustainability unconsciously and undeliberately adopt somewhat of an elitist approach, uh, and that creates unnecessary exclusion and polarization. Uh, I've seen that happen and that creates bad conditions for positive development as too many people uh, feel excluded in the process. Um, Mm. It all begins with uh, our stakeholders and the license to operate uh, they give us. So we cannot step outside too much these boundaries and still expect their support. Uh, Mm. This means that if we want to change something about the club or its immediate uh, environment, uh, that change must come from within and be developed through stakeholder dialogue. Um, This is not the same to say that all change must come this way. Um, There's a role for the activists to play in society as they challenge our beliefs and make us question our actions. And that's generally a good thing. However, the the activists should not set the agenda alone for institutional change, I believe. Uh, That change must be set through stakeholder dialogue and, and internal process development. So... Involve the stakeholders, involve them in the vision of the club, uh, in our case, explain how sustainability helped us develop the club and, and what role they play in all that. Uh, I think that's where we as a club have been successful. Uh, we adopt the language to the listener. Uh, you know, not everyone has to be enthusiastic about sustainability, uh, but they can at least, you know, support what we're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think that's another thing as well. Not everyone is always going to um, feel the same about the things that you do and I think that's just in general isn't it but not to not to get too hung up on 100% um, approval before taking anything forward um, you know we've seen we've seen quite a lot of examples of, of sportsmen institutions clearly taking sides especially in racial equality issues and um, you know I'm sure you saw um, Lewis Hamilton used his Uh, worldwide visibility to promote the fight against racism um the british premier league football teams using a no room for for racism that was a badge on their on their shirt sleeves um they're probably the most popular cases i mean do you see this being common practice do you think this is having an impact on on the market on consumer behavior
3: um my understanding is that we've seen this kind of statements from a variety of sportsmen and institutions uh, for quite some time, but maybe it's more highlighted for the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I think some of these initiatives are more credible than others, I would reckon, um, when it comes to what to talk. Um, if the Pr- British Premier League football teams you mentioned, you know, use the badges as part of an extensive program, you know, that really makes different and contributes to the solution to the problem of racing football, I think that's very good. Uh, the problem arises when there's a big gap between words and actions. Um, I believe these kinds of uh, manifestations, so to say, uh, they can be both positive and negative. Uh, it depends on the credibility behind uh, the credibility behind the PR and communication surrounding it and, and ultimately the results that ultimately come from the campaign. Um, for me personally, communication on these matters should come as a logic consequence of the attitude and behavior of the organization or the individual promoting it. So if we allow ourselves to generalize a little beyond the examples you just uh, uh, quoted, I do believe that that discussion about politics in sports needs to be uh, to be a little more uh, problematized, um, mm-hmm. need to be able to discuss if uh, you know discuss it without being for or against. Um, I have in my professional career at and found myself at multiple occasions sympathizing deeply with a message but not wanting to be associated with the sender of that message because they were either not serious enough, would not have any impact on the cause or provide any solutions to the problem. So that's an important difference. I think it's often neglected when discussing sports and politics. So
0: yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's a good point in that, and there's a there's a common well a question really from from the audience that kind of links with that as well, and it, it really talks about Amazon's new climate pledge friendly uh, label. Um, mm-hmm. Here they they, they mention that that has come under criticism of being a greenwashing campaign. How do you think companies can avoid this criticism, as you um, as you just mentioned, and sustain change even when the environmental movement is less in the headlines?
3: I believe that uh, everything starts from within. Uh, you know, start uh, within your organization. Take the internal uh, perspective first and foremost. In our club, I mean, we, we do a lot of things in the society. We, uh, we have this you know extensive programming, schools, etc. But for the first two years, we almost didn't communicate it, but. Because that uh, was a very advantage for us because then we had we, you know we had these uh, uh, errors in the beginning, and we can go back and we could change and we could you know we de- detected all the times when we were doing things that we we were not you know we were not finished yet, we were not mature to 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 be too uh, communicative about it. So I think you know, there is a balance between you know sustainability and pr and and don't get me wrong i absolutely think there's huge potential for for companies to 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 use it in their the building of their brand but you need to have you know that uh uh that you know positive balance between you know are we actually you know doing what we're saying we're doing uh, and are we are we prepared for the scrutiny uh, there's a swedish uh, uh, tv show that uh, it's called uh, where they scrutinize companies and I, I we always say that we 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 should be able to have them on our doorstep and be comfortable you know about our our, our uh, you know um, operations uh, and i think that's you know feel free to speak about it feel free to communicate build it into your you know pr you know apparatus but but make sure you know you know what you're doing and and make sure that you're you're you know um you have the competence to 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 uh, go all the way and and i had uh, I, I wrote some notes here i think uh, if i can find it that um uh you know that you often you often say that uh, uh, sport is politics and then and and when these uh these uh, issues arises you know that's you know, that's something you should do because it's a natural thing to do. And fine, I think sport is politics, but then we also have to invest resources in our organizations to manage that dynamic between, you know, the, the sports and the politics and all the chain of events that comes from, uh, you know, getting into that, uh, that, um let um, say, business. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, do, do you think that there are, I mean, if we look at international institutions, the FIFA, UEFA, um, you know, how do you see them being involved? Um, You know, are they setting a tone for the clubs and associations worldwide? Um, How how do you feel that these kind of large members or associations are, are kind of behaving in this space?
4: I
3: believe that uh, FIFA and UEFA, in a way, illustrate the complexity I've tried to address uh, in my previous answers, Uh, they, too, have launched local campaigns to address various injustices or promote that they want people to associate with football. But, you know, one might have to reflect on how well sometimes that PR and communication investments correlates with the actions um, of the same organization in some areas. So I think uh, the message can be very appealing, but it needs to be reflected in the actions of the organization. Um, no personal organization is perfect. Mistakes uh, and at times unacceptable things will take place. I think what matters is what you do to lessen the risk of it's happening in the first place and preventing it from happening again. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I mean, uh, there's no shortcuts um, you know, when when uh, when doing all these things. And, and um, I, think, I think to sum it up, I think the key is to find a balance between your core business, a realistic sustainability agenda that rests on stakeholder engagement, and a responsible and intelligent pr uh, and marketing strategy.
0: Yeah, no definitely. Um that actually links to, to another question from the audience actually. Um they mention um, the fashion brand Boohoo. Boohoo has increased its guidance for the year, um forecasting revenue growth of between 28 and 32% despite the issues of workers' of rights which was questioned during this summer. Does this show that the product provided Sorry does this show that it is the product provided rather than the company's belief is what really matters to the customer
3: oh uh, i almost i think i can i read that question as well uh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah i see that it was a long question boo has uh, guys for the year forecast and revenue uh hmm. show the product provided rather right? what can, uh, i guess uh, i guess you could say that uh, i think um I think this illustrates again you know the 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 balance between you know um when we when we put it out there you know are we are we comfortable with with uh, the the questions that will be uh you know the the questions that people will have for us and i think again you know it's, it's about always being uh, improving systematically and and have a a really long term strategy in 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 what you're doing. Uh, I sometimes uh, you know joke and or to provoke say that our sustainability strategy is like an oil oil ship oil tanker it's it's quite ugly at sometimes it's slow (laughs) it's a little scary and dangerous but but it will get us there uh it will take time but it will get us there and and you know when we set that course it's hard it's hard to change that course uh so so you know I, i don't know if that's an answer uh at all uh to the question but um again i think you know um we cannot be finished with everything that we're doing when we you know get our products out there or when we start communicating yeah you know then we will never we will never come anywhere but you know at least you know good enough uh, at least and then you know have a credibility in 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 addressing the the issues that you need to perform better at so in, in in swedish football for example a few years we had quite significant problems with uh disorders violence disorders in connection to football matches mm-hmm. and you know we, we realized quite early you know this is not going to change overnight uh you know we, we will have to take this you know for a long term this is a long-term project to 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 you know to perform better so so what we did is to present you know this is the this is the situation, you know. We brought in, uh, you know, researchers from from other from Britain, at, uh, actually, uh, you know, to to, to let them, uh, you know, evaluate what's the situation like in, in Swedish football, and we just yeah. accept what they're saying, and then we, you know, we set out the program, you know, to be a little better, to to have credibility in what we're doing, uh, and we didn't say that we were going to fix everything. We didn't say things will not happen, but at least people believed in the process, and and we we had credibility in in, um, you know in in what we're doing and that we you know we will we will get there but but we will take time and you will have have to have confidence in what we're doing um and that bought us time and i think you know again you know if you're a little more um if you're a little more slow in in when you speak about sustainability or your pr activities around sustainability then you buy yourself time to improve uh, and i think that's you know uh, that's an advantage that I'm 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 surprised that no that more companies don't don't take advantage of.
0: Yeah. No, no, absolutely. You know, f- thank you so much, Philip, for your contribution. I think there's some really great issues there that you're talking about, which is really building it from within. So, you know, if you want if you want to have a TV crew turn up and investigate, you want to be clean, you want to be able to kind of bear all and say, listen, we really are committed to what we're doing. And I think that's what helps give the authenticity that if you don't have can can lead to the kind of greenwashing which you know one of one of the audience members talked about so i think that's a fantastic insight um and some other insights there of course about how you guys are really implementing sustainable changes and and really taking sides in the sport industry um and and moving that forward so thank you so much for your time appreciate your availability and and thanks again thank you I guess that really takes us to the the last part of our webinar in in another smooth transition, which is really talking about um, how actually brands go ahead um, and get involved with um, sustainability um, or climate change or CSR programs. Um, If you're a brand and you've been interested in in taking something on or moving something forward, it sounds like, um, you know, as as you might expect, you want to have that at the core, but also something that you want to authentically believe in. Um, So I'd now like to welcome Maria Garcia Moreno, who is currently Senior Consultant of ESG sustainability and climate change at PwC. So big welcome to you, Maria. It's it's a real pleasure to have you here with us today. Please tell us, how is the financial world being impacted by the rising challenges that we've already been discussing throughout the other panels? Do you see the financial market adapting um, during the last years? Do you see any, any particular impact there?
4: Well, first of all, thank you for having me here today. Secondly, and answering your question, I think that environmental and social challenges will have economic implication for companies. In this sense, those companies less prepared for climate or social risk will have it difficult to operate in the long term. For example, um, those companies that did not predict it the pandemic situation, this is a sad example, but uh, this, this pandemic situation was a risk according to the World Economic Forum. So these companies that did not predict this risk have had a lot of economic implication. Moreover, and in the financial markets, investors know this and therefore, Therefore, in order to make their invest their investment, they uh, the investor the investors analyze uh, companies to evaluate if they are prepared to meet the social and environmental challenges. So, my conclusion to the question you pose is that the financial actors are more and more integrating non-financial criteria into their decision making, and. As evidence, I would like to mention a study carried out by PwC, my company, in which 32 private equity and venture capital firms participated. Uh, The study states that 84% of the firms consider non-financial issues in their management and investment decisions.
0: So really we're talking about measuring social and environmental impact, um, actually having such an impact generated by companies through an analysis of of other things. So financial impact by social uh, and environmental issues. Um, Do do you see any particular industries reacting quicker than others? Um, Are there any particular trends in in that sense?
4: Well, I think that those companies that evolve faster are those companies that feel more pressure from the stakeholders. What I am trying to mean is that currently, companies that are adapting faster are those companies that are influenced, very influenced by, especially and mainly by regulators, investors and customers. For example, in the utility sector, companies companies are nowadays adapting a lot because there is a lot of uh, government regulation coming out in relation to different topics they treat, for example, climate change or uh, energy transition. Another example could be um, the financial sector, the sector I just mentioned. uh, As we have already seen, uh, they have to adapt because of the demand of the investors.
0: What about about COVID? I mean, how do you assess the impact of COVID so far um, on the social and environmental impact? Have you been able to look at that? What's, What's kind of the... The assessment
4: from from your point of view, yeah, yeah. Well, as we all know, the COVID has a great has had a great impact in the business world. Um, there is a matrix uh, from the World Economic Forum, and in in this matrix, it is represented in one part the impact that each risk should suppose and. And on the other side, the probability of occurrence of each risk. In this sense, last year's matrix uh, represented the pandemic situation as a risk very unlikely to happen. But if it come real, it would have a huge impact, a high impact. As we have seen, the COVID has impacted differently, I would say, in each sector. In each sector. However, in a generic way, we can mention some examples of how the COVID has impacted two companies. First, in the, um, in the company business model, it has supposed a digital orientation of the business, of the business model, a variation in the demand of products changes in the value of the products, modifications in the workforce, and a lot of other things. Then, and related with uh, social matters that you were asking, um, and when I say social, I'm going to put, for example, um, an employees example. The COVID has supposed the adaptation to teleworking or increasing health and safety uh, measures in the workplace. And another example would be. Uh, Uh, In in the environment file, uh, environmental matters could be, um, for example, the impact of the COVID in this file um, has involved, for example, a variation in greenhouse gas emissions or modifications in the consumption of raw materials, energy, water, So concluding, I think that the pandemic situation should make us think about other risks considered in the World Economic Forum matrix as with more impact and more probable to happen like the climate change. And companies should identify and evaluate how these risks can affect them and prepare different scenarios to be resilient if they occur, and now we are, we are seeing now that companies are are more aware are more aware about uh, climate risks.
0: Yeah, I mean that brings up a really good point. You know, planning for resilience is is uh, you know probably the last thing on on companies' minds when they're more thinking about reputation, they're more thinking about revenue. Um, but if you don't plan for resilience, then of course that can have a huge impact on you um, as well. I guess there's a lot of different factors companies need to be thinking um, about if they want to do something in the corporate responsibility area, you know, how would you recommend that they start what you know what should they be thinking about what's what's kind of around for that.
4: Well, yes, as you say, there are many factors and trends that companies should be looking at. Nowadays, the trends or factors companies should be looking at are defined by the stakeholders, mainly regulators, investor investors, and customers. I think so. Maybe we can present yeah these slides. Um, here I I have just sum up. Um. What are nowadays um, the sustainability uh, trends? I have divided them in three different groups, the environmental, social and government trends factors, the known ESG aspects. So in the side of government, government or economic issues, we have responsible investment as trend, transparency and responsible supply chains. Um, responsible in investment. Why is that trend? It is an issue that uh, has appeared because of the demand of ins- investors who are evaluating companies not only based on economic and legal criteria, but also based on environmental and social criteria. In fact. In 2020, this factor has motivated the publication of the taxonomy of the European Union, which provides companies and investors the guidelines to evaluate the environmental impact of their investments. Then we have transparency, and mainly I refer to transparency in the reporting of non-financial information. The transparency is becoming very important for companies. In this sense, there are more and more laws that that require companies to public non-financial information. One example is the Spanish law created in 2018, which is called the Non-Financial Information Act and and Diversity, that requires large companies to make public environmental, social, corruption, human rights indicators, um, quantitative and and qualitative indicators. And then we have in this block um, the last trend of this block nowadays is responsible supply chain. Customers are increasingly demanding companies to require this, their suppliers to comply with ethical, social, and environmental clauses. Then moving to the next block, the environmental as, as uh, aspects uh, we can we can see here climate risk the carbonization of the economy and circular economy, climate risk. In this aspect, it is very important to mention that in 2019 was created the TCFD, a working group named the Task Force of Climate Financial Disclosure. This this group explains the importance for companies to identify climate risk and the importance of preparing different scenarios to be resilient and to be prepared to the consequences of the risk. Then we have decarbonization of the economy. The whole world is trying to get net zero greenhouse gas emissions. There is the European Green Deal, which is a, strat- a strategy that has as one of its main objectives to get a uh, green net greenhouse uh, gas emissions uh, in uh, 2015, 2050. Um, it is important to say in this, in this aspect that many companies have already established a temporary objective of getting a net zero greenhouse gas emissions. For example, PwC uh, has established has established one objective uh, globally by uh, 2030, 2030, to get ne- net zero greenhouse gas emissions. And then we have circular economy. This is an aspect very related with the other one I was talking about, responsible supply chain. Uh, people is more conscious that planet existing resources are scarce and companies are beginning to develop circular economy measures that allow them to reintroduce the raw materials in the the production cycle and lastly but not less we have the social aspects and in this blog um, uh, the two issues becoming more more important are digital business orientation due to COVID and diversity and when I say diversity I'm saying not just gender diversity but also all kinds of diversity like cultural diversity so um, once tell what are the trends, um, we have to think that each company is different. So a good way to integrate the ESG criteria aspect in the strategy is by doing a materiality analysis. The materiality analysis is a study, a tool, we use in the world of sustainability that allow companies to identify the relevant element, elements for the organization according to its sector of activity, the country in which uh, they operate, and uh, the expectation of the stakeholders. It is important to do this because not all sectors, companies, stakeholders are the same and they are requiring requiring um, many times different things for companies for example in the utility sector the most relevant aspects issues nowadays are climate change or energy transition in large consumption companies uh, relevant aspects could be things like circular economy or compliance with human rights in the supply chain and in the technology companies. It could be innovation, cyber attacks, uh, consumer data protection.
0: What about the next 10 years? I mean, what do you predict to be the greatest global challenge for for big players? I've, I've put up your slide here, the World Economic Forum Matrix. Maybe you can talk us a little bit through that.
4: Yeah, that's the matrix I was talking about before. The matrix that shows in one part, it, it is uh, this matrix is representing the um, the risks the World Economic Forum has detected. So, in one side we have the impact of the risk, and in the other side we have the likelihood of the risk. And the pandemic situation was a risk with a lot of a lot of impact, but very low likely to to happen. So, uh, answering your question, um, um, in the end, referring again to the uh, World Economic Forum Matrix, uh, I can say that 10 years ago, the most relevant risk were mainly economic and the world economic matrix talk about issues like fiscal crisis, like uh, Chinese uh, economy recession. Then five years ago, the economic risks were becoming less relevant and climate risks such as climate change or extreme temperatures uh, were becoming to appear. And nowadays, what we can see in the matrix, what what it is represented in the matrix are mainly the risks represented are environmental risks like climate change, loss of biodiversity, extreme temperatures, or natural disasters. So, my conclusion is that predicting the future it's very, it's a rate of work. But if we see the analysis of the past, it indicates us that there will be more and more challenges related to the environment. Therefore, as we have been saying, companies must be prepared to face this risk quickly in order to be resilient.
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, there's some really interesting points there, especially about, you know, that matrix and having a look to see that the, you know, those green diamonds really are the environmental risks and, and companies do need to think about that. Um, yes. And and therefore, you know, it's a it's a big think uh point for companies. But I think something else that's quite interesting is also the change in, in consumer behaviour. Um, we've got a question here. Um, 75% um consider a trusted brand to be an important purchasing factor. However, younger consumers, particularly Gen Zers and Millennials, are more likely to experiment with smaller or less known brands during the pandemic. Will small businesses only succeed if they have environmentalism at the heart of their business ethics?
4: yeah i think that uh little companies do not have to have like in the center um the um business ethic i think that is all um a a group you have to to have the business ethics and consider it but and if you consider the business ethic even if you are a little company you can uh, remain longer in the long term so it's not to have it my opinion is that is that it's not to having it in the center your strategy can be a uh, can have other objectives but you have to uh, obtain your objectives uh, taking business ethics and if you get your objectives uh, Uh, taking your business ethics i'm sure that you will remain in the long term and you will get your objectives
0: sure sure some good advice there i guess to conclude i must ask you the main question of which the webinar asks should brands stand for something
4: um of course, a brand should stand for something. A good brand, I think that should represent its identity and its values. Uh, for a brand, in order to remain in, in the long term, what I was saying it is fundamental that its customers, investments, investors, and all the stakeholders feel represented by the brand. For example, um, customers of Coca-Cola know what the brand represent. Uh, if there is a customer of Coca-Cola, if there is no Coca-Cola, he, the customer won't have a drink. And it's not because of the flavor of Coca-Cola, of the taste of the drink, It is because of the value of the brand. And moreover, what brands represent have a a value that is called the goodwill. This value is reflected in the balance sheet in the annual accounts of of each firm. The goodwill is an intangible asset that refer uh, the brand value or positioning of the company. So yes, for me, companies uh, definitely should stand for something.
0: Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you for your time. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to all our our participants today. So thanks to Amy, to Jamie, to Philip and Maria, and of course to everyone here that joined us, both on the Facebook stream, but also on the the Zoom today. So a big thank you to everyone. I hope you've learned some things here. I certainly have. Um, This will be available on YouTube, on our podcast, and look out for our next webinar, which will be in December looking at building reputation in a B2B world. Thanks again to everyone and have a great day.